It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring. And this podcast is brought to you by Ryan Kiefer, branch manager of First Community Mortgage. Each and every week, we talk about sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. We're back into the full-fledged gambling segment. Yay, me. And, of course, my favorite top, my favorite segment of the show where you can ask me a question on any topic. Go to Twitter. Hit up the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. I'm looking forward to questions, as always, this, this, this week. Rick, uh, we, got, we got a lot to get to. We got a lot of football to get to. We're kind of back in normal mode once again. Yeah, it's back to almost the best time of the year. I mean, you start football season, it's pretty great. My favorite is when it starts to overlap in November with college basketball and NBA too, but this is hard to beat right now. We've got NFL tonight, full college slate on Saturday, and then the full first week of the NFL on Sunday. So let's jump right into it. We'll start with the Bengals, who will host the Steelers at 1 p.m. on Sunday to get the NFL season underway here in Cincinnati. We've talked about all sorts of preseason topics leading up to this skinny but one conversation that I keep seeing pop up across national shows is the expectation for this team. So I want to start here. What, in your opinion, should be the standard for a successful season this year for the Bengals? Yeah, the playoffs. I, I you know, I, I think if you ever talk in terms of Super Bowl, I, I just think unless you're in the middle of a dynastic run, um, that I think that's a tough expectation. I really do. I think it is consistently make the playoffs, which then gives you the opportunity to get to the Super Bowl. And I think this team on paper, it's better than last year when it made the run to the Super Bowl. Um, it, it, you know, it, it's it, on paper, it is a playoff team. So yes, I think the expectation is playoffs. Anything above that, I don't want to say it's gravy because that's not fair. That's not right. I mean, I think a lot will determine the seed. I mean, if you have to go play through Buffalo, that won't be easy. If you have to go back and play through Kansas City again, even though the Bengals did it last year, to do that two years in a row won't be easy. But yeah, I think playoffs is the standard. There is somewhat of a NCAA tournament nature to how we do this thing in the NFL, right? I mean, you don't have 64 teams, so it's not everybody. You're not going to get the crazy upsets. But once you're into that field of teams that made the playoffs, it's all pretty darn good teams, and it's a one-and-out tournament, meaning... Sometimes you're just going to have a bad day or you're going to have a, a fluky turnover or the flag is going to be against you that day and you're going to lose a game that maybe you shouldn't have lost or you wouldn't have otherwise. I mean, you look back to last year, you had two four seeds making that run to where they did. So, I mean, it's it's pretty, pretty obvious that not always the it's not always the best team that makes the Super Bowl. So I think that's a good point that when you start getting expectations of you should win the the AFC championship or you should win the Super Bowl or it's Super Bowl or bust. That's just a little bit too far. I, I always say with the NCAA tournament, you kind of control your destiny to the sweet 16 round just based off. If you have a good enough regular season, you can get a high enough seed that you should be able to control your destiny into the, the sweet 16. But after that, it's kind of a crapshoot. I feel the same way about the NFL playoffs. Once you make to the, make it to the first round of the playoffs, it becomes a bit of a crapshoot there. Yeah, you know, like I said, unless you're unless you're the 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 Patriots in the middle of their dynasty run, or the 49ers back in the 80s in the middle of their dynasty run, or the Steelers of the 70s in their dynasty run. I mean, if you're in a dynasty run, then yes, a Super Bowl is the expectation. If you've won it two years in a row, I would think you expect to win it a third year in a row. But um, you know, this team is not close to that level yet. It might get there. It's maybe the window's open to to have a dynasty type run. But yeah, playoffs is a great is is is, is the right goal. With that being said. What is your prediction for the Bengals record this year? Yeah, I went uh, and I did a prediction column. It's online at local12.com. Um, I, I went 10 and 7, and I didn't go game by game. I know some people do that, and that's fine. I, you know, to each his own. I think that's sometimes hard to do because of all the, the different machinations that can go into the way a season plays itself out. But I, I put it in categories of, of likely wins, likely losses, and swing games. And I wound up with six likely wins. Only two likely losses, and that's way fewer than I had last year. But I wound up with nine swing games, Rick. That's that's how many games I think are, are really kind of 50-50 games. Um, you know, maybe 60-40 one way or the other in some cases. But, yeah, I've got nine swing games. And so I came out when all said and done. I said, if you can go four and five in the swing games, they went – I had seven swing games for them last year. They went four and three in those. Um they lost a game that I thought was a likely win, which was that game at the Jets. They won a couple of games that I had as likely losses, one of those at Baltimore. So if those kind of even themselves out a little bit where you do lose a game, you're not supposed to lose, and you do win a game, you're probably not supposed to win. 
but you get to the swing games, if you can break about even, and I've got him going four, four and five in those swing games probably, that gets him to 10 and seven, and that just feels right. 11 wins in this schedule seems really, really difficult to me. Yeah, I think that's right. That's the number I keep coming back to as well as 10 wins. It's, it's hard to see more. Well, I shouldn't say it's hard because you could, when you're talking about these swing games, which you list as at Dallas, at New Orleans, at Cleveland, at Pittsburgh, at Tennessee, then the Kansas City game, at New England, the Buffalo game, and the Baltimore game. The Baltimore home game, yes. Right. If you look at those games, it's not hard to see them pulling out an extra one or two of those games. I mean, that's not unreasonable, but you're right. When you're talking about what's realistic and, and what's most probable, it'd be a hell of a year, and they'd have to make a great run through the regular season to win 11 games, I think. Now, here's my question for you. If they do get to 11, because I think one of those would have to be the Buffalo game at home. I, you know, Winning games on the road is still difficult in this league, even though the Bengals were pretty decent at it last year. Um, would 11 wins be enough to get a one seed? Because I think the, 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 I think we all agree the West cannibalizes itself enough to where the West winner probably has 10 wins. And honestly, the last place team in the West might have nine wins for, for all we know. So they kind of cannibalize each other. Buffalo is the one breakout team to me that could win 12, 13 games, and that would be hard, I think, for the Bengals to reach. But would 11 be enough to get you in the one seed conversation? You're in the conversation, but I tend to agree with you that I think someone probably ends up winning at least 12. Yeah, and I and I think Buffalo is probably that likely team, especially if they were taping this obviously on Thursday morning. If they were to win this game at the Rams tonight to get off to that kind of a start with a big road win, um, they're not losing very many, if any, at home. That's going to make them very tough to catch eventually. I know some people would have Kansas City in that conversation after last year, but I just think they're going to take a little bit of a step back, and it's that's going to be a different difficult division too. Yeah, I just yeah, I don't see anybody dominating that division. I think that's the problem. I, mean, I, I literally could see them all going three and three against each other in that division. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a war. So I think you're right. I think the Bengals have a very good chance to get the two seed. Uh, they'll, they'll be in the conversation for the one seed if they're around where we're talking with 10, 11 wins. But more than likely, I think uh, Buffalo probably has a good chance to edge them out there. But could you could you imagine, though, that Monday night game next to last game of the year? And, and listen, that last game against Baltimore could mean something as well. But if the chance to have the one seat on the line, what that crowd will be like. It's already going to be juiced up anyway. Can you imagine if if the one seat is on the line for that? Oh, it'll be insane. I mean, that's one of the coolest things about this year going into it for Bengals fans is when's the last time that you knew the stadium was going to be sold out for basically every game? And every single Sunday, or if you got a primetime game, whatever day of the week it falls on, is going to be an event in the city. Every bar is going to be packed. They're going to be tuned in. You've seen, if you're on social media, you've seen all these posts by different establishments saying, hey, we just got our new TVs installed, ready for football season, all that type of stuff. It's never been like this, at least during my lifetime. So, I mean, this is going to be a, a football season unlike any other, I think, in Cincinnati, at least for the last three decades. Yeah, no, I, I I completely agree with you. I mean, you got that whiteout game on Thursday night. They're, they were asking you to whiteout the stadium on the Thursday night game uh, in week four. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it, it the, the, the primetime games will be crazy. No question. Yeah, I mean, well, and you have looking at your AFC North predictions, you've got the Bengals 10 and seven and the Ravens 10 and seven with the Bengals winning that tiebreaker. So think about that back to back weeks. Yeah, you've got the Buffalo game, which could mean the number one overall seed or what have you. But then you look at the AFC North right after it, you could have the Bengals and Ravens battling it out for first in the division. Yeah, no, right. That's right. Two back-to-back crazy weeks. Uh, take me through the rest of your AFC North breakdown and kind of what you were thinking on that. I mentioned you had the Bengals 10-7, and 7, the Ravens 10-7 and 7 with the Bengals getting the tiebreaker. What about the Steelers and Browns? Yeah, I got the Steelers 8-9 and nine and the Browns 7-10. and 10 And, and um, I'm probably short, shortchanging the Browns. Um, their early schedule isn't overly difficult, but... You know, they are an underdog this week at Carolina, where if Deshaun Watson was was playing, they probably wouldn't be an underdog. That doesn't mean anything. It just means that they wouldn't have been an underdog. I just think that suspension is going to compromise that team to the point where, yeah, maybe they hang around at, at six and five, five and six without him. But I think everybody's under the assumption that when he comes back, the Browns are going to hit the ground running, and so is he. And I, I don't buy that. I mean, we're talking about a year and a half's worth of rust, man. Yeah, I, I mean, plus... Is he that good? Well, I, I'm kind of with you on that. I mean, that's that's the other part of it. Yeah. So I, I've got the Browns at 7 and 10. That's probably not fair, but I, because they do like their roster, and I'm, I'm really 
basing that record off of one position, the quarterback position. And it is a big position. I, I, I am very well aware of that. And the Steelers, I don't like, but I can't count my time. I mean, the fact that they made the playoffs last year with the slop that they were running out there and, and Big Ben being what he was. I mean, it, I, I even wrote, it's hard to believe the Steelers make a playoff run with Mitch Trubisky or Kenny Pickett at quarterback. But I'll be honest, it's probably an upgrade over the way Ben played last year. I think it is, too, because he was so bad, especially at certain times when I think he was really hurting. But he was but, a winner. Yeah, and I mean, I just don't know that Mitch Trubisky has it at all. I don't either. And, and So, so Kenny Pickett, maybe, but I don't think – I mean, I think Mitch Trubisky at best is probably similar to what you had last year. You know, I'm looking at that front seven. I mean, they got Miles Jack now at the linebacking core and, and just looking at, at, at you know, Ed and Larry, Larry Ogunjobi's a big ad in my opinion. Him and Cam, Cam Hayward side by side. Yeah, but I mean – with, 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 uh, with TJ Watt, I mean, it's a damn good dynamic front. Yeah, but and teams Najee ran Harris. all over him last year. Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm noting you. Um, you know, they've upgraded their offensive line, which they had to do. I, I, again, I, I, I'd like to pick them at 7 and 10 and probably pick them last. I just can't count Mike Tomlin out. I can't do it. I'm not well, going to do it. That's fair. I mean, Mike Tomlin has worked wonders with that roster, especially last year's. Right. I don't know how they had the season they had last year with that roster. I mean, I thought they were going to be god-awful. I mean, and, the Bengals kicked their ass twice, and they still made the playoffs. Right. I mean, I, I really don't know how they made the playoffs last I don't either. year, how they had a winning record. All, all of that was just shocking. Um, you, you had five bold predictions that you made for this 2022 season for the Bengals. I want to know, which one are you most confident in coming true? Like, do you want me to run them all down or do the confident one first and then run the rest down? Well, dude, give me which one you're most confident, and then we could get into the others. I think I'm most confident in Joe Mixon will threaten the team's single-season rushing record. All right, take me through it, just because of the upgrade in offensive line? Yeah, so here, I, I kind of broke it down. I said if Mixon gets a bump from the 4.1 yards per carry average last season and averages 4.4 yards per carry over the same workload, which was 18 and a quarter carries per game, and plays all 17 games, because don't forget he sat out the finale last year when all the starters sat. I said that would put him around, that would put him at 1,365 yards. But I said if he averages 20 carries per game, and he could, I said, if the Bengals are playing with the lead more often in the fourth quarter than they were a year ago, and averages just 4.4 yards per rush, he would finish with 1,496 yards. The team record is 1,458. Um, you know, there's also a lot of conversation of, of hoping to create some more explosive run plays of this line capable of getting him to the second level where he can become more dangerous and, and, and popping big runs. He was 27th among NFL running backs last year in, in what is deemed explosive runs, which are runs of, of 12 yards or more. You know, he can, I think, you know, if he can get that in the top 10% range, I think that adds to it. And, and as I mentioned, I'm not asking him to carry it 25 times a game and average five yards a carry. And I'm only giving him an incremental bump of 0.3 yards per carry. I mean, I could see him getting to the, upper fours, to be quite honest with you, if this offensive line is what we think it is. So, yeah, I, I, that's the one I'm most confident in. All right, we'll run through some of the other ones, which were the defense will send into a top 10 unit. Yeah, and, and, I, and I base this off a couple things, and, and I asked Logan Wilson this, and I asked Luana Rumo this. I, listen, that defense, and I, I, I don't think this is arguable because I think we saw with our own eyes, and if you look at the stats, it backs it up. You know, after the bye week and through the playoffs, that was a really good unit. Um, honestly, you could argue the playoffs, they won playoff games because of that unit more than anything else. Um, and I think a lot of it was you had a lot of guys playing together multiple snaps. And guess what? They're all back but one guy, Larry Ogunjobi. And I listen, I'm not short selling what Larry meant to that defense, but you're plugging a guy in, you feel confident in B.J. Hill. Plus you get Osai back. Plus you can add Dax Hill to the rotation. I don't see why this unit isn't better than it was a year ago. Um, and, and in the second half of last season, it arguably was a, a, a close to a top 10 defense. So I, I think that that's in, in the realm of, of possibilities. The other ones I've got were Joe Burrow will be sacked less than 40 times and throw less than 10 picks. I'm really confident in the less than 10 picks one, Rick. Um, he threw 14 last year, but you remember before the bye week, he was pretty interception prone. Yeah. Um, he threw 11 in the first nine games. He threw three in the last eight, didn't throw a single one in the last four, threw only two in the playoffs. I think a lot of that was him getting readjusted to speed of the game, him getting more reps. He even, I even have a quote from him about that of, you know, feeling like, hey, you know, you go through the first half of last year, that's literally my first year in the NFL. Um, I think the bye week probably did him wonders to kind of get a little reset going. And I just think he's so accurate that I can't imagine he throws more than 10 interceptions this year. 
Well, I think the big thing is you're not going to fool him in the interceptions. You're not going to catch him slipping or disguising things anymore. I think he's already past that point with his knowledge and feel for the game. I think it's more situations where he's aggressive and he's going to try some things and take some shots. And that's where you'll see him throw the ball away at times. But I don't think you're going to see him make some of the mistakes that he made. Earlier well, and, and I think some of that, some of that too, in the first half mistake wise was he wasn't confident in moving around in the pocket or moving out of the pocket that he stood in and tried to make the throw as opposed to maybe extending the play with his legs. And, and he started to do that more in the second half of last year of getting out of the pocket and extending plays. I think that made him a little more accurate as opposed to, to forcing, forcing passes. So you kind of go back to what, 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 you know, you, you said was my most confident. I'm sticking with Mixon, but um, I've got the Burrow one is kind of all encompassing. Getting sacked less than 40 times and throwing less than 10 interceptions is just one of the one of the five in a, in a mixed category there for me. Um, and if I think this offensive line's better, then I do think he he should get sacked less than 40 times, right? I would hope. I mean, it can't. It's hard to imagine that this offensive line is any worse than they were last year. Right. Right. Uh, my other two ones were Evan McPherson will make at least two field goals of 60 yards or longer. I think they'll give him some shots at him. Why wouldn't you? Right. Why right. wouldn't you? He's clearly got the leg for it. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's made from 65. And again, I love what he said to us that day that he made the 65. He says, if the situations were right at the end of the half or end of the game, I think we're comfortable from 68 around there. And I think he is. I think you saw those some of those 58 yarders he made in, in, uh, in preseason games were clearly good from 65 to 70 yards out. I, I'm not even asking for 65. I'm just saying at least over 60. I think he makes two of those. And my other one was um, that the defense will record the most quarterback sacks since 2012. They have not recorded more than 43 in a season since then. They, re, they had 51 in 2012. That set a single-season franchise record. I go back to you know last year they, they had 42. You had O side of the mix as another weapon in the pass rush game. Again, I think they play with the lead a little more often in the fourth quarter, which which should help. Um, I do threat. I think they threaten the, the franchise record for sacks in a season. So two two of those you brought up the idea of the Bengals playing ahead a little bit, not having to to come back as much late in games. That was something that we saw a lot last year, where it felt like they were very conservative. They they'd find themselves in either a low scoring game or even find themselves down early, and then. In the second half, they'd get a little bit more aggressive, take a few more shots, put the game in Joe Burrow's hands a bit more, and the defense would come up big in those situations as well uh, and seem like they'd start disguising things a bit more and being a more a little bit more aggressive on that side too. Do you think that's something we'll continue to see this year, or do you think it's going to be a little bit different with this team being more established and, uh, I guess, more ready, for lack of a better term? Yeah, I think a lot of it stems from the fact of trying to get better down in distances. I think a lot of it, they didn't run the ball consistently well last year. And I think that bogged down drives in the first half. And then it did lead to you having to be more aggressive in the second half, as you mentioned. Um, you know, you could argue we'll start out aggressively. Well, if a defense is not allowing you to do that, you can't just say, let's do it um, unless you're forced into doing that. So I, that's why I go back to, I think they're just going to be more efficient in the run game and you're going to get yourself in more manageable third downs, which is again, going to lead to, Less times Joe Burrow has to drop back on third and nine and throw when the defense is coming after him full full bore, which should also lead to less sacks. So I think a lot of it's predicated on this offensive line running the ball as much as it is protecting Joe Burrow. All right. Give me a player that's going to outperform expectations on each side of the ball. Mm. Outperform expectations. That's a, that's a little ambiguous. You can kind of yeah, take no, that no. to me, whatever you want. Yeah. Um, I guess... I guess I'll go with Osai because of the unknown and, and what are the expectations for him. I, I just think he's got dynamic pass rusher written all over him. I love that. I mean, you know, that's that's the guy I've been waiting to see. I've been talking about him nonstop since we saw, what, 12 snaps last year in the preseason or whatever it was. I, I'm excited to see him out there on the field. We got such a, a limited dose in preseason this year that I, I'm hoping we're going to see a lot of him here on Sunday. I, he was really good in camp. I, w I was a little surprised they limited him the way they did because in talking to Lou Anaruma one day before preseason games, he said he was looking forward to seeing Joseph in preseason games. But then um, Zach Taylor kind of tamped that down each week when you know asked about his workload. Um, I, I get it. I think they were just trying to manage. You know, he is coming off knee surgery and wrist surgery, and um, it's probably the right management plan. But I'm telling you, Rick, in some practices. Uh, he got under a lot of guys' skin because he was probably a little uber aggressive, but it also was he was getting under guys' skin because he was kicking their ass. 
Yeah, he has that motor too. He just does not stop, and uh, I'm I'm excited to see that on the field in real game action. What about on the offensive side? Um, I'm gonna go, and I almost did this as a bold prediction, but I thought I had too many offensive things in there, so that's why I went with the sack category um, for the defense. I think Tyler Boyd will be the second leading receiver in yards this year. Interesting. That was the name I had kind of circled there too. It, it feels like people have forgotten about him a little bit. Yeah, and again, you know, for a slot receiver on a team that had a 1,400-yard receiver and an 1,100-yard receiver, he still had 800-plus, which is pretty darn. I mean, there's only so many yards to go around. Yeah, a very Um, solid season. But I do think you're going to see defenses really scheme hard to take Jamar Chase away. They're going to put their secondary focus completely on T. Higgins just because what what you saw out of T in the Super Bowl. And, he again, he had a great season. Don't get me wrong. I mean, 1,100 yards, and and he did that also missing two games on top of it due to injury. I I just think that with those two guys on the outside now or I have on film for teams, you can still try to do what you're doing, but you're going to get your ass beat down the field. I I, I just think you're going to have teams really scheme hard to take them away which is going to open things up for Boyd. And I go back to you know, getting yourself in more manageable third down situations. Who's a more comfortable receiver than the slot guy on third and two or third and three, right? The six yard, the six yard quick route to that guy. And yeah. I think that's where I think it's going to pile up for Tyler Boyd in that regard. I couldn't agree more. It felt like last year teams were still, I mean, later on in the season and into the playoffs, they, they clearly got the message a little bit, but for most of the last year during the regular season, teams were still saying, you're going to have to prove it with Jamar Chase still. We're not going to dedicate all of our coverage to a rookie just yet. And he continuously proved it. And I think this year, you're not going to see that anymore. Teams are going to be doing everything they can to take that weapon away. So I I definitely think there's going to be more opportunities for both of the other guys. But uh, like you mentioned, Higgins is going to draw a lot of coverage as well. So uh, Tyler Boyd is kind of the odd man out there in terms of if you're a defense picking your poison, he's the one you're probably going to go with. And you would think the middle of the field and those short to intermediate routes are going to be wide open for him. Yep. All right, Skinny, real quick here. We're going to talk about it again when we get into the betting segment, but just the Steelers matchup specifically week one. What do you think about it? What what are some things to watch here going into the first game of the season? Yeah, I think Trey Hendrickson has a chance to have a field day in his matchup. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that, but Again, I think this is, a, and I'm writing this piece actually when we get done with this podcast, I, I think it's really interesting the challenge that this new offensive line gets to face in week one. You're facing one of the five best defensive fronts in, in all of football, both on the outside, the edge, and obviously the interior with, with Cam Hayward and and, uh, and Larry Ogunjobi. I think it's a, great, it's a great test to see, all right, if you can handle this defensive line, you're going to be okay. Um, if not, it's probably okay because it's a really good defensive front, but you know, does Cordell Volson come out of this game with us going, oh boy, were you overmatched? Or does he come out of this game going, all right, he made a couple of mistakes, but boy, he held his own and came away with a win. The offense put up some pretty good numbers and they handled that defensive front. And, you know, we haven't seen them. We haven't seen any of these guys yet other than Volson. Volson. You know, Jonah Williams hasn't played with Volson next to him. We didn't see Ted Karras or Alex Kapp or Lyle Collins in, in, in the preseason. Um, this is the first chance to see the, the shiny new toy that, that we're all excited about if you're a Bengals fan. So, um, yeah, I think it's the Bengals' offensive front against that that Steelers' defensive front. Two words to make you feel a little bit better, a little bit more optimistic about facing the Steelers' defense. Terrell Austin. <laughs> That's the defensive coordinator for the yes. Steelers now. If right. you're about- okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Remember when he was with the Bengals very briefly, it was an absolute disaster. 
So yeah. uh, that definitely makes me feel better. That guy has no idea what he's doing. Does he, he does have talent though? Yes, he's got talent. You know, I, I can probably be pretty smart if if I've got that front group and Miles Jack behind them. Yeah, I, I think you do have to limit your expectations somewhat, or, or uh, maybe just hold off on reacting too much to this first week though for that offensive line because, like you said, all of those guys are new in terms of playing together and as a unit. They didn't get any preseason snaps together, and they're going against one of the best units in the league on the other side. So, no, but, I, I, but I, I do think Rick, there's a storyline either way. I mean, if they excel, sure. okay, look at our shiny new toy. If they don't, it would be, boy, Zach, you probably should have gotten them some preseason snaps together. Maybe. Yeah. I, I think that's right because it's, it could cost you a game, uh, an important game, obviously within your division. But in terms of the long haul for the season, I wouldn't get too worked no, up yeah, if no, the no, offensive yeah. line struggles in this week one. It doesn't mean, oh, the, all these guys are busts and it's not going to work out and they didn't upgrade the line at all. It means it's, it may take them a little bit of time and they may be better against teams that aren't the Steelers, but I wouldn't get too worked up about a, a rough week one. That being said, I think this game will probably go well for the Bengals. Yeah, I just I I think it's one of those. The, again, I, lo- I love the test off the bat. It's not not like you get the false sense of security of beating up on a bunch of rummies week one and go, boy, the offensive line is fixed. No, you're going to really know if they if they more than handle their own in this game. Yeah, the offensive line is fixed. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else you want to get to on the Bengals side of things? Uh, we'll wait for the prediction segment. I think to do that. So okay, perfect. Well, let's jump over to college football. The powers that be in college football voted last week to expand the current four-team playoff into a 12-team playoff. The 12 teams will consist of the six conference champions ranked highest by the selection committee, plus the six highest-ranked teams not included among the six highest-ranked conference champions. The four highest-ranked conference champions will be seated one through four, and each will receive a first-round bye. Skinny, what do you make of the new 12-team college football playoff? I laugh at it for this reason. Are there really going to be six conferences when this comes about? Well, I, I think this probably stabilized all the maybe. conference realignment yeah, to some maybe, extent. Maybe. I mean, yeah. I wonder if USC and UCLA would have even wanted to hop for the Big Ten if this that's was a, a thing. That's a great six point. months ago. That's a great point. Now, maybe no, they that, would because it's still a ton of money. Right. But you got to think if you have the opportunity to make the playoff every year, what keeps you more relevant? Making the playoff, getting that giant payout, by the way, the, the payouts, they're talking like one and a half billion or something or one point two billion right. for the for the new 12 team playoff and and what those payouts are going to be to the, the conferences and the teams that are making it, because, you know, it's going to be performance based. If you're the team making it, you're going to get a bigger cut than than the rest of the teams in your conference. And also from a recruiting perspective. What's going to be better for you being in the playoff every year that you can sell that and having that opportunity or being a, a middle of the tier Big 10 team. Even if you're making 40 million more in theory off the media deal initially, is it really worth jumping to that conference? I don't know. Rick, the funny part to this is, and I, I sure don't want to pat myself on the back, but I will, I guess. This was the exact format I think I've talked about for four, four or five years now. Did you like, I, mean, I thought you liked eight teams. No, I, I was a 12. You team, 12 six, okay. six, yeah, six conference champions. I, I know and, you and, did have the six conference champions. I thought you wanted two at large. Bids, yeah, no, but, no, 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 no. Okay. That was, that would have been at the minimum. If, you know, if, if they weren't going to go 12, the 12 is the perfect number in my opinion. And, and yeah, I, and I know the argument's going to be, well, what about a nine and four pack? That's fine. What, what about an 18 and 12 Ohio Valley conference team or a, 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 a 15 and 14 Georgia team that wins the SEC tournament in basketball? It's just, that's okay. It's all right. It's okay. They're going to probably get bounced in the first round by somebody. You, it, it's all right, but they earned their conference championship. It should mean something. That conference title should stand for something. Now it does. Yeah, well, I mean, the biggest thing is, okay, yeah, occasionally you're going to have the the fifth or sixth conference might have a scrub-type team that wins it all, or maybe even you know one of the middling teams somehow finds a way to win. I mean, it's just very rare, though. The way, the way it works out in college football you don't really have too many conference championships between bad teams. No, right. I mean, it's, it's it's very rare that that would happen. So, I mean, occasionally with that fifth or sixth place conference, you may have a, a weaker team that you know is going to get blown out. But what you're also not going to have anymore is an undefeated team that doesn't even get a sniff, never even gets considered to play in the playoff. I mean, the UCF team from a handful of years ago, Going back to the BCS days, that Auburn team that went undefeated and, and didn't get a shot. You wouldn't have been sweating this the, the UC season last year once they went undefeated. Exactly right. So, I mean, it, it just it'll be good for the sport from that perspective, because that just seems like a ridiculous notion to have teams 
go undefeated, do everything you ask of them. It's hard for a lot of them to even schedule better than they do for the most part. They usually get one shot in their non-conference and you have to book it years out. So if that team ends up not being that good, well, you might've just lost your shot at getting a sniff at the playoffs. So you're no longer going to have that. And in addition, I know a lot of people were concerned about what this would do to the regular season. Right now, every game is so meaningful in the regular season because if you lose one or two, you're out of it. But you know what you have now is every game coming down the stretch between the top, what, 12 teams, 20 teams? Top 20 probably. Are all going to be playoff-type games. Right. I mean, every conference tournament or conference uh, championship is essentially going to be a play-in game that becomes another de facto playoff. Well, Rick, I mean, I, I will, I'll go back to what you were just talking about, though, with you know the whole concept of of you know not every game matters. It still is going to because to win the SEC West, for example, you can't lose more than a game. Um, to 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 win usually the Ohio State side of the Big Ten, you can't lose more than one conference game. So yes, every game still is going to matter for a lot of teams. Right. There, most of them. I guess it takes away the thing for like Ohio State last year. Once you lose that Oregon game, we kind of knew it's like, oh man, they yep. could be in trouble. They might, they might have just cost themselves that shot. You wouldn't have that anymore. Right. Like, yeah, it would give you that that mulligan if you're a team like Ohio State or if you're a team like Georgia or if Alabama ever loses a game during the regular season. Those types of teams will have that opportunity to make up for it. Yes. But I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. And I also think when you get down to the later parts of the season, it makes it just that much more exciting uh, in all those big time conferences, especially if we're going to load up in the SEC and the Big Ten and most of the top teams are going to be there. Well, great. Now the the later parts of that season are just going to be even more interesting and more competitive, because I'll tell you right now, after what we just saw out of Clemson the other night and the fact that it doesn't really look like they're quite back the way a lot of people were hoping they might be, we're looking at. The next, what, 12 weeks, 13, however long this the rest of the season is of just talking about Georgia and Alabama every week. Yeah, it feels like, honestly, right now, just let's just I know this is going to piss off Ohio State fans. Just let's call it a day and put them in the game and let's be done with the season. I mean, realistically, that's what we're talking about for the rest of the season, unless something crazy happens. And sure, we like to think something crazy, crazy always does happen. But really, it takes a lot of the excitement out of the season right now when there's two teams and that's about it. So uh, you go in a couple years from now, that's not going to be the case. Yes, those two teams are going to be guaranteed in. Yes, they're probably going to have first round buys, but you've still got all these other teams that are vying for a playoff spot. And and once you're in, this makes it kind of like the NFL, like we were talking about. It becomes a little bit more of a crapshoot. You're not always going to have the best team coming out on top. I I will say this, though. The Alabama-Georgia loser, which will probably wind up being a three seed when the point comes to it, Versus a two-seed Ohio State, I still think it'd be a fascinating semifinal game this year. Sure. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm going to watch. I'm excited for it. I'm looking forward to all that. But from a national coverage perspective, this season is going to get so tiring because all we're going to talk about is Alabama and Georgia. They're selling Kentucky short when they beat Georgia. (laughs) I hope you're right. Although after what we saw from them against the men of love and honor. I'm not so sure that they're very on their vanilla. Way. Don't, don't be fooled. Very vanilla. <laughs> okay. Well, well, do you got anything else on the playoff or do you want to move on? No, to I'm, I'm just, I'm, I mean, I'm glad they all, I, I, it's almost like what took you so long to get to an easy, easy point of this. This, this was not that hard. No, no, right? it wasn't. I mean, they're going to make a ton more money. They saved the bowl games, by the way, they're still yes. using those stupid right. old things. So it's like, right. what, what was the issue? What was the downside to them doing this? That's other than protecting maybe a few teams interests. I mean, the only teams that wouldn't want this to happen would be Alabama. And maybe that's it. I mean, honestly. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I, I don't, this, this was an easy solution four or five years ago. It, it really was. It, well, and it was definitely an easy solution about what, seven months ago when they tried it the first time and those right. stupid conferences formed an alignment right. alliance to block it. And they no, almost ruined right. themselves. But, yes. but I do think that's the best part of this is it, it seems like for now, This either stabilized the conference realignment stuff, meaning everyone's just going to stay put at least for a while because now you've got your shot. You're guaranteed your shot at the playoff for a while going forward. Or if you are going to jump for more money, that's fine. You can still do it. But man, there's a much bigger downside now to joining the Big Ten or the SEC when you're in this 12-team playoff. Like, I mean, UC fans a few weeks ago were probably feeling like, man, we finally joined the Big 12 and now it's going to be a downgraded conference. Well, now you're in a perfect spot if you're a UC fan oh, right. because you've got a legitimate shot 
in a, in a very balanced league, a lot of teams that are at a similar level, and all of them are going to have a realistic shot to play for a chance at the playoff every year. And by the way, you've probably got the best coach out of all of them. No, right. That's exactly right. All right, let's get into some week one reactions from the college football season that we saw last week. Skinny, give me one takeaway from a national perspective and one from a local perspective. Um, the national one to me is, is and, and it's we're probably going to talk about this more in our betting segment, but I'm going to just bring it up. The Florida-Utah game was great. I mean, Utah, obviously, I think is a legit top 10, top 15 team, and they went on the road and all those things, and, and Florida helped. But Florida goes from almost giving up a game-winning drive. Kid makes a great interception in the end zone to save the day. And listen, I do know there is a difference between a win and a loss, but really one play saves their day, and that jumps them all the way up to number 12 in the rankings? Really? Well, I think part of that was also their quarterback and what Anthony Richardson looked like. He did some good things. Yeah, yeah, he did some good things, but I I don't like just to jump that high off of one game. It's a big win, but like you said, I'm not sure if I'm quite as sold on Utah as maybe the voters were moving Florida up that high. Yeah, yeah. Um, The the local one to me is the UC loss is frustrating because I I honestly think they were the better team. Um, They got really cutesy down after they recovered the fumble. I don't like that sprinting out to the huddle, running to the line of scrimmage, trying to quick snap it because you get guys antsy and what ends up happening? Leonard Taylor jumps. And from that point forward, the rest of that series was a was a cluster. Um, I think what it, what it showed is for those that continue to doubt, is you see a legitimate program. Um, and again, you can say, well, they still lost. Yeah, but they belonged, and they belonged in the, on the field with Alabama last year, and they belonged on the field with Georgia the year before. And yes, you can point to me going, they're zero and three in those games, and you're right. But they belonged, and I think that's that's what's so frustrating is you not only had a shot to show you, you continued to belong when you face SEC level competition. Um, they should have won that game. Well, the Georgia and Alabama games, you can say they belonged, but they didn't deserve to win. They didn't look like they were going to win this game. They were the better team. Yes. That, and that, I, I would agree with you from that perspective. It would be very frustrating to be a UC fan because you should have had that game. Uh, some really sloppy stuff that is very uncharacteristic of a Luke Fickle team showed up. And then let's be honest about it. And this is what I want to get into about UC. You've got a quarterback controversy. You do. And Ben Bryant did some good things later in that game. I think Ben Bryant needed that first half. He was great in the second half. I don't know if I'd go great. I I thought he he was great. He played better in the second half, but it's not going to get quieter. People are going to continue to want to see Evan Prater. And that's part of just recruiting talented players. If they've got a number next to their name, when you get them to commit, people are going to want to see them produce sooner than later. And I think you're going to continue to hear that. I think the coaches would like to see him produce better in practice. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I'm not saying it's the right move. I'm just saying you've got a talented kid behind him. And what Ben Bryant did in this game was not good enough. And he's part of the reason that they lost. Mm, I I can't go there with that. I can't. I know he missed missed throws in the first half. I don't disagree with that. I I I mean, that interception was was a horrible throw. Yeah, the first half Horrible. was bad. I, I, I think it's. Well, I mean, of, there's that that counts. Like they don't wipe it, it off the the scoreboard it, after a bad half. That counts. It does, but he also generated 24 points in the second half. In a half. Yeah, I mean, they lost the game. I don't know. I'm not. I, I'm not saying he should be benched or anything because I I think you stick with it longer than that when you make a decision. This is going to be our yes. starter. But and I I'm, think they showed that by sticking with him in the game. I'd be curious to know how close was the decision between Ben Bryant and Evan Prater because I don't think it was very. I don't. I don't think it was very. Well, and if that's the case, then I, I think, think fans are going to continue to be frustrated. Yeah, I think if it was very, you would have seen a package of plays for Evan Prater. And I know talking, I thought they were going to have a package of plays, but but I know our friend Chad Brendel, um, who filled in on 15, ESPN 1530 last week, said that uh, you know they really basically picked the guy and they're going to stick with him. And they did. I mean, they other than him having to come out for the one play because of his helmet, they stuck with him. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see if they change that mindset going forward at all. And if well, not, he, if Ben Bryant improves some, because he needs to make a jump or this isn't going to be the season they expect it to be. Yeah, he, he, you know, he needs to have a dominant performance in whatever amount of snaps he plays against Kennesaw this week. Um, and then Evan Prater will get snaps in that game because it's going to be a blowout. So let's see how he performs. It's a rummy opponent, but okay, go dominate that r- opponent. Yeah. Um, did how, about you, your, how about your takeaways? Well, I'd say from a national perspective, I think I'd go back to the Clemson thing. It, they, they, yeah, maybe maybe they'll switch to the the young quarterback 
um, who came in at the end and, and yeah, drove them down it, and scored the quick I, touchdown. It's funny, I, I bet against them Monday night. I lost because I had Georgia Tech getting 24 and a half. And I really bet against him because I just am not a big DJ Ungolongolele fan. I'm just not. Yeah, I, he didn't have it last year. And again, this is only one game this year. But you saw a lot of the same stuff. I mean, just holds on to the ball too long. Right. I don't think he makes decisions fast enough. And then even when he does, I'm not sure that he's that talented of a passer. Uh, I like that they tried to run him a little bit more because he does seem to be a big athletic guy. The shuffle, the shuffle pass he made while he was falling down and being sacked was a big time play. But I just don't know that they have it, period. That was not a good game for them and not a good look. Um, and they, they held on to win and, and even cover, like you mentioned, but it was uh, not very impressive. And then from a local perspective, I think it, I think I would have just gone back to the UC thing. I, just, I don't know that <laughs> Ben Bryant's the guy at quarterback. Mm. I need to well, see more. That's, that's fair that you need to see more. I, I, that part I, I will give you. Yeah. I mean, I that, first you, half, I, that first half is if you see that type of play again, you guys are not going to win any big games this year. If that's if that's what he does, I don't think they'll face a better offense than that, though, or a better quarterback than that. I would agree. I would agree with that. Um, I thought you'd bring up my, my family losing by a point on Monday or on my Sunday night. Family, yeah. Uh, I mean that is going to be interesting because already it, it seems like things are getting very testy. Well, I was like, did the Boutte kid transfer or not? He did not. That was a fake uh, Brett McMurphy tweet. It was, tweet. okay, okay. But right. that being said, he did scrub LSU from his Instagram Okay, profile, yeah, yeah, so. okay. all right, yeah. Yeah, so uh, you got that. You've got the reporter coming in late. He starts giving her crap, and she says, well, well, maybe if you'd I, win, I'd show up on time. I thought he was fun. I thought he was actually funny with that. I do. I think he was trying to be. I think maybe she was trying to be, too, but I think that's the, that's the way it comes off when you've yeah. got a weirdo like him and everyone's testy. So I've got a good one for you, and I don't think it, I think it went over his head. So when we came in for Zach Taylor's press conference yesterday, we came out of open locker room, and it just so happened at the end of open locker room, Joe Mixon decided to talk, and so it went right up to one o'clock, and I got pretty much out of the, after the first couple of quotes from Joe, I got what I needed, and I walked away. So Jay and I walked in right at the time that that Zach was sitting down. As Jay passed by, he said, "Are you going to find us?" And I don't think Zach under, he looked at the clock and it was only one o'clock. I was, he probably would have said something one-on-one. I don't think he understood the reference was to the Brian Kelly situation, but I thought it was a pretty good try by Jay to poke him a little bit. That is funny. Can I also just say, um, coaches even commenting on whether people are on time to press conference or anything. That's like, they don't work for you. Yeah, that's right. They're not on your timeline. They can show up whenever the hell they want to that thing. And, I, and, and, let, me, and let me tell you, Zach is really good about that because he knew because he because Emily Parker from Bengals had told him, hey, a lot of guys are just talking to Joe. They might be a couple of minutes. And, he, you know, a lot of coaches won't. He's nice enough. To, he sits there and said, I'll wait for him to come in. Um, yeah. I, I've never seen Zach do anything like that with the yeah, right. He seems very good. With and I, I, I do. I think Brian Kelly was just trying to add a moment of levity. I really do. I, I don't think it was him being an ass, which he can very much be. I mean, he killed a kid. Let's not forget. Um, <laughs> but in this case. I, and she even apologized. I think she realized her retort back wasn't very good either. Yeah, I, again, I think she. I think both of them were probably trying to be funny in the moment, right? Um, and it obviously came out the way it came out, and everyone blew it up on social media to be something course, else because that's what but they do. <laughs> again, him him making that comment, even if he's trying to be funny, is just like the fact that he's even keeping track of when people are coming in or out of the press conference is silly. Like that's not. That's not how press conferences work. We're not on your clock. We don't have to be in there right when you start it. We can walk in whenever. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah. that's just a silly or we're not your players. You that's don't right. you know, you don't find us. You don't tell us when to be where. Or as Matt Patricia told a guy at the Detroit Lions when in the front row, sit 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 up straight or you're a slob. <laughs> well, the guy might been might have been a slob. Well, that might be true. Did you ever see Matt Patricia the way he dressed in the pencil in the year? <laughs> Hello, pot and kettle. <laughs> that's that's a fair point. Um Skinny, did you have more positive thoughts about Notre Dame or Ohio State after watching the Buckeyes pull off the 21-10 win over the Irish? Um, Notre Dame. Uh, I, I did too. I, I, honestly, I told you last week I thought this Ohio State offense was unstoppable. Um, you know, I know everybody's talking about their toughness and their grittiness and all those. I was a little disappointed in Ohio State, but I think it was more related to Notre Dame was that good defensively. Agreed. Well, and to be quite honest, I think Notre Dame had a legit shot to win that game yes. had they not called up until the point that they called that double safety blitz in the red zone. And yeah, gave no, away right. the free touchdown. Was that Xavier Johnson's touchdown, maybe? Yeah, it was Xavier Johnson. It was the last one. Yeah, the Xavier Johnson touchdown. Yeah, and that's that's where it was like kind of over for them. But up until that point, I think they still had a legit chance to win that game. The good news for Ohio State is Notre Dame couldn't get hardly anything going against 
the Ohio State defense, which is a nice change from last year. Yes. Ohio yes. State's defense did look better. I think they have improved that. I think the the new coaching staff did a really good job on that side of the ball. So um, from that perspective, it was a good look for Ohio State. But I'm with you. I, I came away from that game for Notre Dame. I expected them to get blown out. They had a legit chance to win the game. Yes, they weren't able to do so, but they covered. And uh, overall, I, I came away thinking more positively about them than I did Ohio State. I don't think Ohio State's a, a title contender, to be quite honest. Oh, I do. And I, I think when we're going to look back on this, this will be their smallest margin of victory of the regular season. Oh, yeah, I think that, too. But I, I think, and I think um, they're going to just get better. And I listen, that offense has too many weapons not to not to not to be great. And again, I think that's more of a testament to what Notre Dame did than what, what Ohio State did not do. I would agree with that to an extent, but I I put it this way. I did not feel uh, like Ohio State looked as good as Georgia and Alabama to this point. Now, obviously, you're all playing different competition, right. but I felt like Alabama and, and Georgia and, and Georgia was the team that I was down on a little bit. I was like, you're going to have to prove to me you can reload after all the talent you lost from last year. You and- lost seven dudes off defense of the NFL and they looked better. They, they looked unbelievable. And that, that's the thing. When those teams pop like that, you just see it right away. And both Alabama and Georgia have it for sure. Ohio State, I didn't necessarily see it. Now, part of that is they did have a lot of injuries, that ridiculous wide receiver core that we're expecting to dominate all year. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see how what happens there as they get healthy. And then uh, with Kentucky skinny, the big takeaway for me was that the Wildcats appear to have hit another home run in the transfer portal at the wide receiver spot with Virginia Tech transfer Tavion Robinson. Yeah, and then the kid that returned the kickoff for a touchdown as a freshman. I mean, they, they've they've got they've got more speed. Um, they got a little bit of issues on the offensive line. They've shuffled it around for this week. That looked like um, a major issue to me. Yeah, um, and so to their credit, they they fixed that. Uh, the 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 thing that very well, is, is very disappointing is you rush for fifty yards on twenty five carries against Miami. Um, that 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 scratches your head a little bit, but. I thought Will Levis was great. I mean, you know, you look at his final numbers and you can add three drops to that total as well. Um, Every time it, they gave him more than like a second and a half, he made a play. Yeah, correct. They also had no design runs for him in that game. I think you're going to see some design runs for him as well going forward. Um, so, yeah, they didn't empty the, the playbook out. I thought their defense was great. Listen, Miami scored on their first drive of the season. That was probably been scripted for a while. And that, that, that happens a lot of times in, in sports where – you know, you've spent all the time getting that thing ready. And then after that, it was all the Kentucky defense. And I think that defense is going to continue to get better and better as the year goes on, too. Yeah, I don't worry about their defense at all. But the offensive line is a legit concern. You yeah. said they fixed it. Well, they've tried to no, fix no, it. No, we'll no, see no, if that no, actually takes effect. No, I didn't. If I, if I said they fixed it. I'm wrong. I said they, they shuffled things around trying to fix it. They, they, yeah, they've shuffled yeah. it for this week. Exactly. We'll we'll see how that goes. Because, I mean, for Miami's front, really, it was just the the front four. It wasn't yeah, like no. they were sending a bunch of blitzers no, to right. be in the backfield constantly like that and chasing Will Levis out of the pocket. Not what you want to see. But that and being they, said, Tavion Robinson six catches for 136 yards will work. I mean, that was impressive. It was. And, and you know, I the question was, who's going to step up for Wandale Robinson? And I think you see they've got multiple guys who can do that. They got a bunch of speed on the outside. Yeah. Defense looked a little slow in the first half, I thought. They got off to kind of a slow start, but as the game went on, they looked fine and and back to what you would expect out of a UK defense. It's a great challenge this week. There's no question. It's a great way to hop out of that game and see what you're made of going to Florida. Well, with that being said, let's jump into some some betting picks where it was not a good week for you. <laughs> I, I went four and two. You went one and five last Ooh. week. Ooh. Uh, we'll start Saturday at noon this week. We've got Arkansas State at Ohio State. The Buckeyes are favored by 43 and a half points and the total is 68 and a half. I think is AJ Mayer the backup quarterback at Arkansas State, local product, Miami transfer. I believe he is. I did he not know he transferred. Yeah, he did. I think this is where he's at. And I don't think he won the starting job, unfortunately, for him. That's correct. Uh, he did go to Arkansas State. Yeah. Um, so maybe we'll see a little bit of him in this game because it's going to be a blowout. I, I think this is a complete after week one. I don't want to call get right game, but I think it's get right game for the offense. I think Ohio State's up 45 nothing to the half. Buckeyes, 59 nothing. I like it. So you're on uh, OSU and the under here. The, yep. the over, by the way, at 68 and a half. Doesn't That's that just seem almost impossible to hit? Uh, no, because... I mean, you're going to need Ohio State to get 60-something of them and Arkansas or, State to or, score. Or Arkansas State gets an early field goal. Ohio State gets the 59 I mentioned, and they get the late touchdown against third stringers. It's 59 to 10. Yeah, maybe that just uh, I like the under in this game. It just it seems like 
I see the scenario you laid out, which is Ohio State gets up like 45 nothing in the first half or something crazy like that, and then you just completely call the dogs off after that. I mean, you still may get a few touchdowns after that, but the clock's going to be running. You're going to be keeping the ball on the ground the whole time. Hard for me to see a lot of points scored here. I'm going to go on Ohio State 55, Arkansas Arkansas State 6. So I'm on Ohio State and the under as well. And by the, by the way, Arkansas State did score 58 points in their opener against Grambling. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. I and A.J. Merritt didn't play. He was 5 of 6 for 23 yards and rushed for 74 yards and a touchdown. So there we go. There you go. All right, so we're both on OSU and the under there. Yep. Saturday, 3.30, we've got Kennesaw State at Cincinnati. The Bearcats are a 28-point favorite in that one. The total is 48 and a half. Yeah, I'm going to go UC 52 to 7. All right, so that's UC and the over. over. Yep. Uh, I'm on I'm on the same thing here. I like UC in the over as well. I'm going 45 to 10, so pretty similar scores right there. I don't think this one's going to be in question at all. Uh, that brings us to Saturday at 7. We've got UK at Florida. This is the big game of the week locally. Florida is a 5.5-point favorite. The total is 52.5. Again, my question is, if they don't intercept that pass in the end zone and lose, are they even favored? They might not have been. I think Kentucky probably would have been like a, a two and a half point favorite or something like that had Florida not won that game. Yeah, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go Kentucky outright 27-24. So UK obviously to cover and then just slightly on the under. UK and the under for you. I'm on the opposite side of this one. I like the under as well, but I'm going Florida here. I think Florida wins this one. I expect a good game, but Anthony Richardson looked like a problem. And again, UK's defense got better as the game went on against Miami, but they looked a little slow to start. I think he's going to give them some problems with his legs. He's got a rare combination of size, speed, and arm strength. Kind of, I'm not comparing him to this guy, but he's kind of in that like Cam Newton build in terms yeah, of quarterback. I, think, I still think if, you know, he did a lot with his legs, he was okay as a passer. I he's got a strong arm, a that's passer. for sure. Yeah, you make him a passer more. I think Kentucky can do that. I don't think he's quite as spectacular as he was against Utah. Uh, they better contain his speed if they want to do that. But they I'm do. going Florida 28, Kentucky 21. So I'm on Florida and the under. You, on, you are on UK and the under in that game. And that brings us to Sunday at 1 o'clock. Well, the NFL side of things. We've got the Steelers at the Bengals. The Bengals are a six-and-a-half-point favorite. The total is 44. Yeah, I'm going to go... Bengals, boy, man, I'm going to go right on that total. I'll go Bengals 27-17. I hate to do that as I'm pushing the total. I'll go Bengals 27-16. So I'll go Bengals and the under. under. I've seen a lot of places think that the over is the play of the week here, and I I just don't see it. I'm sorry. I just don't. Well, I don't think the Steelers are going to score a lot of points. And I I think the Bengals, I got them in the 20s. Again, that defense is good. It is good. You give me a defense with that front four, Miles Jack and Minka Fitzpatrick, I don't care what the other parts are. That's a pretty good group right there. Yeah, I went the other route. with. I was similar to you. My initial take was 27-17, and I go, oh, that's right on the number. So then I flipped it, and I went Bengals 30, Steelers 17. That's a little bit bigger of a spread than I would have liked, but uh, I just – Look, if I for me, the, the thing is always going to come down to this year when it comes to the Bengals and totals. If I'm right on the number, I'm just going to be thinking Evan McPherson in my head. Well, no, I was going to say, I, I I just found out a place where he's going to get one of his 60-yard field goals. It'll be at the end of the half, and that's why it'll get to 30. Right. That, the, this is what I'm saying. That's going to be in the back of my head every time I try to decide. If I'm close to that number with the Bengals, it's going to be like, over, under? Uh, McPherson. We'll go over. <laughs> Because you just don't, I mean, Zach will steal six to nine points a game with that guy. He's He's got confidence in him. Yep. All right, so right. I'm Bengals and over, you're Bengals and under. We talked about this uh, on the last podcast this year. We're going to try to trim this segment down a yep. little bit, not do all the primetime NFL games. So the last bet we will give you is just our favorite bet of the week. Uh, it can be one pick. It can be a teaser. It can be a parlay, whatever. I, I have to be missing something here. I'm going to take Arizona Cardinals getting six at home against Kansas City. What am I missing? Um, they're at home. Mm-hmm. Kyler Murray's playing. Uh, when does the new Call of Duty game come out? Well, no, no, that's the thing. They're usually really good early in the season. Yeah, the new Call of Duty will come out till October. It looks like yeah, so. He should he should be still reading four hours of his playbook a night, or doing four hours of game tape. 
what am I missing? I must be missing. So I'm taking Arizona plus. I'm taking, I may take them on a money line too. Okay. All right. I did not like any game on the college board this week the way I liked Kentucky last week. I put about three or four side bets in on that Kentucky game and did well on it. I'm going to go with a little teaser here this week, a six-point teaser. I'm going to go Alabama. They're a 20-point favorite at Texas. I'm going to take them down to 14. So Alabama minus 14 at Texas. And also Wisconsin is a 17.5-point favorite against Washington State at home. I'm going to take them down to 11.5 with that six point teaser. So uh, you, you get down through that 17 number, you get down through that 14 number, two football numbers on a teaser is always a, a nice move. Alabama minus 14, Wisconsin minus 11 and a half, six point teaser. All right. There you go. All right. Time for some ask skinny, anything here to wrap it up. And we'll start with a Bengals related question. Skinny. Does Jackson Carmen stay on the team this season? I think he does, but um <laughs> I said this to some guys yesterday, you know, they signed Max Sharping, who has 33 starts in this league, probably not quite up to speed yet, but I said, I predict by the time September is out, Jackson Carmen will be a healthy scratch in favor of Sharping. I think a lot of people are starting to think that. But I don't think you give up on him entirely this season. I mean, you've... You hope to see some kind of flash in practice. You know, he's still on his rookie deal, so it doesn't make any sense at this point. You might as well just just keep him unless he becomes a turd. Um, yeah, what's that What's that mean for, for fans who don't understand? What's the? What, how long do they have control of him here? Uh, four years. Um, four years under his rookie deal. He signed second-round money. So if they'd have cut him, they'd have to eat a pretty decent not, – not a big chunk of cap. I'm not talking 30 mil because his contract's only probably four, four-ish mil-ish something along those lines, but it would still be a cap hit that you really don't need to take. You might as well just keep him around and hope he develops. Um, you know, maybe I think we've talked about this. Maybe you start to rep him in practice at tackle, which and see if he's got something in the, in the tank there. I don't think he does, but yeah, I, I truly think the sharping signing to me was a giant red flag that says, as soon as that guy is up to speed, our guys up on game day are going to be, if he's healthy, Isaiah Prince is the swing tackle. Um, Trey Hill is the is the backup center guard, and Max Sharping is the backup guard tackle. You keep three backups on game day; those are going to be your three, in my opinion, moving forward. All right, Skinny. What's the worst personal foul you've seen in a game, any sport? Actually, the worst one I saw was in a practice. To be honest with you, can I do that? Can I? I'm sorry to to to, to change the question, but the worst one I ever saw was was, and this is all you need to know about Vontez Burfecht and what an ass hat he was. So, so it was a Bengals practice. It was the first day of contact, but it was not tackling to the ground day. It was there was you know thudding, if you will. Giovanni Bernard's first practice in contact after he had come off knee surgery. And what does this jackass do? He goes right at his knees and cuts him down on a running play. I've never seen a position coach go after Kyle Kasky was the running backs coach, and he's a big guy. Vontez Burfick is just certifiably crazy. He went after Burfick like they were worst enemies and because he, he was taken up for Geo. That was the dirtiest play I've seen in any sport at any time at any level in my lifetime. And there, there's Jay Morrison of the, at the time of the Day Daily News had video of it. Um, it, it, was, it was dirty. I mean, you, there, there's no even sugarcoating how dirty that play was. And that's Vontaze Burfick in a nutshell. In a nutshell. Yep. Skinny always talks about how he doesn't root for teams anymore, but is there an NFL team or any certain players that he hates? Hmm. Yeah, I hated the Steelers growing up because I was a Bengals fan then as a kid. But yeah, I, I, yeah, hates a hates a tough word for me. I'm, I'm. They are an easy group to hate. Yeah, the, the just Jerry Jones is a, easy to hate too. I don't know why that is. It's because he thinks he's so smart and he's really not, and yet he's got all this money because he just knows how to do things in a weirdly right way business wise, but. That's the guy who thinks he knows football and doesn't. I would say the uh, football team slash commanders would be in that group for me, too. I mean, like ever since I was young, I hated the colors and just look at their team. So I never picked them in video games or anything like that. I was just always like uh, crappy team. Plus, they weren't any good, really. Yeah, um, I love I love the, the, the then Redskins of the 70s into the 80s for Joe Gibbs. Those, those teams, those teams were fun. Yeah. And then now you have Daniel Snyder, too. So yeah, like as I yeah. grew up and learned about who was in charge, it's just like they're a very easy team for me to, to dislike. Now, I don't think the, about the, them all that the much. Brown, the Browns are the Browns are becoming easy to dislike because Jimmy Haslam's just a clown and the whole Deshaun Watson thing makes them look dirty. Yeah, that's an easy team to dislike this year. 
Uh, all right, Skinny, Bud Light or Coors Light? Oh, Bud Light. I can't. I can't drink Coors Light. Can't do it. Um, and it, it is. I, I think I've told this story before. I can tell the difference in, in 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 beers. I mean, there's a clear difference to me in Miller Light, which I can't stand either. Coors Light and Bud Light. Yeah, can't uh, do it. Can't do Coors Light. I uh, sk- well, what is your favorite domestic beer, by the way? Is it Bud Light? Yeah, but I'm a I, I'm a Heineken guy. I don't consider that a domestic beer, but you know it's domestic enough because I can buy it in Kroger. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a Heineken guy for whatever reason. All right, uh, I'm, I skipped a sports question here. If you were a pitcher in the in the majors, would you be grooving fastballs to Albert Pujols to give him a chance at 700? I I think I would if he was at the 698 699 mark. Really? Yeah. He needs five more in the last 26 games. You think it is amazing because I thought two months ago he had no shot and it looked like he had zero shot to get there. And suddenly the old man must have went on a cycle. He's he's caught fire. Um, Yeah. If he was at 698, 699. Yeah. I wouldn't mind my name being attached to that. I could live with it. I, I want, I wouldn't walk him or try to pitch around him for sure. But there's no way I'd be grooving fastballs to him. I had a conversation with a friend of ours who was like, it felt like it was each pitcher's civil duty to be trying to help Albert Pujols get to 700 home runs. I was like, first of all, the guy's hanging around to try to get this stat. It's not like he's still in his prime or help, you know, helping a team make a run. He is, but he is helping them. I mean, he's helping them basically salt away the central. He's been a big part of this last month for them. The dude was done like two or three years ago, if we're being honest, though. Like it, he has hung on in his career to get these stats and chase I, these stats. That's probably true, but he. So he, I don't feel it's like not it's that my, he's not helping them right now, though. He's helping them in a big way. I that's fair, but I also don't feel like it's my duty to help him achieve these stats with it. You know what I mean? It's, it's not like he's at the tail end of his prime, and it's like, hey, just let me get this thing so I don't have to hang around another year or two. He's been hanging around and hanging around and hanging around to chase these numbers. He probably should be closer to six hundred in terms of the end of his prime. So I don't feel like it's my duty to get him to 700 home runs. And as a competitor, if I was on the mound, I would go after him. Like I would give him pitches to hit, but I'd be trying to strike him out. I wouldn't be wanting to give up a home run to Albert Pools. You know, maybe you may not, you may not have a choice anyway, the way he's swinging the bat. That's true. Uh, the next time you just hit him. <laughs> Wait, how about the, he, how about he hits 699 in his very last game and it pisses off the guy enough that he plunks him the next time and then realizes, oh, that's the last at bat of his career. Should. He should. <laughs> it won't be the last bat of his career, though. He'll come back. He'll come back to get 700. I guarantee it'll pull Brady. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I've suggested. I, I think I would if I was him. Oh, disgusting. <laughs> uh, what is Skinny's favorite sitcom from each decade, starting from the 70s through the 90s, assuming he thinks everything since then has been garbage? No, because The Office was in the 2000s, right? Yep. Yeah, the office, Yeah, I can go through the 2000s. I'm not big on much today. Um, cause well, I, I'm finishing up Shit's Creek as we speak. So I've, I've, I, that, that would be the, the present day when I guess, no, the, yeah, the office in the nineties, um, what seventies, I've never considered mash a sitcom, although I guess it is. And it's just, I can watch the reruns of that. I've watched probably every episode of that on, on, uh, me TV and I'd watched it. Hell, I watched reruns when I was in college, for goodness sakes, and watched first runs, obviously, when I was in high school and college in the 70s. Um, MASH is just so classically done. I mean, the, the ones of the 70s, Bob Newhart show I loved, Happy Days I loved, um, uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show I loved. I mean, I could go on and on about sitcoms in the 70s, but All in the Family. If, if we consider MASH a sitcom, I'll go MASH. If we don't, I'll go All in the Family. Sanford and Son. I mean, there were so many good ones in the 70s. There really were. Um, the 80s would be Cheers. Although the caveat is Seinfeld, I believe, started in 88 or 89. But the run of Seinfeld was the 90s. So Seinfeld clearly in the 90s for me. Uh, that's a pretty good list right there. I didn't I didn't think you would have that so available to just come off the top of the head with. Yeah, like I said, I mean, he, uh, he, I mean, the office was the 2000 office was great. Yep, that's uh, about as popular as it gets. I feel like everyone still watches the office every day. Uh, that's like, yeah, my- it's, on, it's on Comedy Central on reruns on a regular basis. Well, and with all the streaming stuff now, people just play it on lo- like everyone my age. The thing to do, I'm not an office guy. I haven't watched all the way through. I've seen some episodes, but like everyone I know, including my wife, just like turns it on every night and watches episodes they've seen a million times. And I'll be honest with you. I, I like young Sheldon, although I didn't like Big Bang Theory very much. I, I like 
I liked How I Met Your Mother, although How I Met Your Mother is Friends, and Friends is How I Met Your Mother. It's the, I mean, they, they you talk about copycat scenarios, the the ensemble cast of mix of men and women, but I, I actually did like Friends a little bit too. Never watched Friends. I wasn't a Friends guy, but another very popular show. All right, Skinny, we'll wrap it up with this. You're stuck on an island with one person with one year supply of food and one year supply of beer. What are you choosing for each? It sounds like we've got Heineken already as the beer. Yeah, do I get to pick the person? Yeah. Uh, look her up, Bridget B. Just go just go look her up. Okay. <laughs> um, all right, so, so I've, the food, so what do I get in the uh, category? This is going to give my computer some viruses. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But it seems like she's like a legit actress, too. Sure. We'll run with that. That's fine. Uh, Catwoman XXX was a real movie, right? Yeah, sure was. Catwoman with a K. Sure was. Uh, Shark Babes. Yeah, we'll run with that. The Double D Dude Ranch. (laughs) Legend of the Naked Ghost. Yeah. But that's that's right up our alley. We should have a live watching of that. That's that's the island. Okay, so what what, what are my categories here? Uh, A person, food and beer. Uh, food is wings and the beer is, even though I said Heineken, I probably would wash the wings down with Bud Light. There you go. You're going to wash your wings down with Bridget B and some Bud Light. Bud Light. That's it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's, that's all I got. Thank you for the Bridget B reference. Yep, Appreciate thank that. you. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for the questions as well. We'll be back uh, one more week from today with yet another podcast. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition. Brought to you by Ryan Kiefer, branch manager of First Community Mortgage.